Welcome back to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. Mr. Denton, it's a pleasure to have you back on the show. Uh, it's nice to see you again. Yeah. Thanks, Robbie. Always nice to be here. You are really a significant topic that's you know certainly going to be on the minds of a lot of Americans here in the next couple of weeks. And we'll, you know, those of us that have been, you know, seriously looking at this story for a long time will be have an opportunity once again at, at kind of a forum to maybe speak out and, and point out some things to to the to a larger public of about what happened in Dallas and why it's so important and why things are stu- still so unsettled with it, I think. Can you believe that's going to be 60 years coming up? Well, it's time marches on. Every you know, it, 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 it's you know, whether you want it to or not, we people move along. I, I sometimes think about the, the the people that I have met along the way and uh, had developed long relationships, you know, in terms of looking at this topic. And, and then, of course, there's a lot of folks that that have passed on and had, had knowledge about this or spent a lot of much of their lives investigating it. So, you know, these kind of milestones come up. They They all seem to have significance. They all kind of bring us back to what was a very traumatic event in Dallas and also an event that I believe badly damaged our democracy and, and took us in many wrong directions. I think the I think in some ways I'm somewhat optimistic that there, there have been some corrections, I think, or attempts at corrections. I believe the American people's voices always can not always, but sometimes can overcome some of the the darker sides of American life, and I think the or the sinister elements in our past. And I think the JFK assassination remains one of the one of those at the top of the list in terms of the, the darkness that still needs some light shed on it. I believe, Robbie. Do you think it's going to keep up after the 60th? Obviously, older researchers will get it. In state probably in tune with it like you mentioned uh forging long-lasting friendships with people and just getting to unite people from all separate sides of the political aisle as well too not just everyone in agreement there's various people that are interested in the case but trying to get the younger generation on board uh is a goal to have and it seems like um besides the anniversary trending like it usually does around the time of the anniversary do you think that it's going to be something that I mean, we've had media talk about it in different ways than I think I've ever seen it before. Yeah, there seems to be a a, a more media attention now. Will that just all fade away after after November twenty second of this year? Maybe some, but I don't think it, as long as something remains an open wound on the American conscience, like the JFK assassination has. And there are these glaring controversies. The controversies may not be the right word. Glaring uh, uh, indications of something more that happened in Dallas than a lone assassin. And and we don't see, I think we have seen some moving of the needle a little bit in the last year or so, at least on the part of the media's recognition. People that, you know, is, you know, there's always criticism of the media about their failure to look at a lot of things, including Dallas, and or their misinterpretation of it, or, you know, their 
characterization of anyone that suggests something else happened in a certain situation as a conspiracy nut, which basically makes it difficult for serious people to, to keep looking in places that maybe they should. But the media is what it is. It's not it's not a monolithic one, you know, you, you know that. I mean, and it's far more diverse than it was in 1963. We had much more media concentration then, I think we do now, in terms of uh, conveying a central message. But some of it has to do, I believe, with just the fact that, you know, not everyone inside or outside the media is as well informed about some of these facts that are so explosive about Dallas as maybe you and I are. And whatever gets their attention, you know, even as, you know, like the, the, there'll be a lot of conversation about the Secret Service agent Landis, who, Paul Landis, who, who's still alive, who came out and made some assertions that if they're true, would once and for all put a, you know, a nail in the coffin of the single bullet theory. Now, Landis, on closer inspection on the part of a lot of the JFK assassin researchers who are always incredibly skeptical, <laughs> you know, find some things about Landis really suspicious or in terms of the credibility of the story. But for whatever reasons, the media, more than anything else, has latched on to it. And it, it, in some cases, it's ironic or even frustrating because some folks that have been on this thing for a long time, longer than my, you or I, have, have been pointing out things probably that are far more explosive. There are, are even greater condemnations of the single bullet theory, which is still the linchpin of any, uh, you know, Oswald acted alone. Well, you have to have the single bullet theory. And there's plenty of evidence out there that, that, always, that, that for 60 years that, that shows that the single bullet theory is nonsense. And yet, all of a sudden, the media is now see, suddenly paying to say, is it ironic? Is it frustrating? But it's also an indication that, you know, on an everyday basis, Robbie, people, not everybody's paying attention to this story like the rest of us are, like some of us are. And whatever gets their attention, whatever allows us to move the needle in some positive direction to where we can ultimately get some institutional validation about what happened in Dallas, where we can change what's in the history books. And that and your other answer, well, will it stop the 60th anniversary? No, it won't. And and, and I and if it, but the other side of it is that it's probably frustrating is probably it's gonna take a lot longer than maybe our lifetimes to, to kind of get an adjustment to history. Uh, generations beyond us might, you know, not having the the, you know, the stigma of conspiracy attached to anything that they they attempt to try to evaluate on this might look at these things the evidence is laid out in a far more open mind than maybe some folks do today so maybe it may take a, a generations or times or or decades i i, I talk about this in my uh uh some of my other talks about Thing. You can look at other things in the past that seemingly were uh, injustices done in American history uh, and in the how long it took to correct those things. I always like to talk about the Japanese-Americans and 
in uh, World War II, Executive Order 9066 that FDR signed, which was an, an atrocity against American citizens in a time of war. And it took a long time for for that that adjustment after you got through the fever of the Second World War and people began to take a, a more unbiased look at that event in 1988. We the United States government officially apologized to Japanese Americans. So it, it it took 40 years to do that. Now now we're at 60 years and we still haven't gotten the the you know the recognition the 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 admission that something sinister happened in Dallas that that corrupt individuals inside and outside the United States government plotted against an American president that's maybe still too bold for some folks inside our institutions to touch but maybe in, in future generations that won't be the case it's not the public isn't ready yet. It's just I think at this point it's about having something that's a relevant subject matter that's worth people's interest going into. Um, and I, I know we say like, yeah, obviously JFK has relevance. It does to us because we're passionate about it and want to research into it. But people want like something that's going to be in the next week or affecting their lives now, you know, Russia issue or something of that sort. That is a common thing that is it's right now trending. It's a thing that's implicating on so many people's lives. And you just got to show people that the Kennedy assassination is doing the same thing. We haven't stopped the lies, like Rich has always said. We haven't put an end to or gotten it rectified. But it's I notice it when I use the clips, for instance, that we did together or putting up a video on something like that. A lot of people are still have that interest in the assassination, but it's not enough to do anything about it. Like People like to hear these, and I think we're in a time now that is all conspiracies and all those subjects are now starting to be kind of relevant because of the things that we've experienced in the past two years alone that I don't think anybody would have been able to predict. Epstein being one of them and so many other things of complete political corruption that I think saying that the people aren't ready that has been tossed out multiple times by people I've heard from in the past. I just don't think that's the the example anymore. I think the example now is trying to make it relevant for people to care. That's a good point because the curiosity has always been there. I mean, folks, I, I on a day-to-day -day basis where I live, I mean, folks want to, you know, know that I'm involved in this and, and come up with questions and, and and the curiosity. And it's not just not just a, a particular age group. I think a lot of young people. I, I always remember the story about last year. In fact, I, when I was in Dallas, I told them what had happened. I we were, you know, at, at our conference in Dallas last November. There were also a large number of Texas A&M students uh, that were there, kind of intermingling the meet of the weekend. And and uh, uh, I was on the elevator with some of them, and I kind of made a wise crack as Texas A&M wasn't having a very good football season. And uh, and they they asked me, "What are you? Are you UT?" And I go, "No, I'm from Illinois, man." <laughs> They asked me why I'm here, and I and I kind of gave the explanation about the conference we're having, the JFK assassination. And there was five or six on there, and they were ready to get off. But but the one of the girls that was on those college students, I want to know more. <laughs> so she actually get you know she actually trapped. She didn't get off where the others set up. She rolled with me down the elevator, and I had to 
a few seconds to kind of give a synopsis on one of the most complicated subjects he would ever give. But the fact was she wanted to know more. You know, and I think a lot of Americans want to know more. It's our job to that doesn't mean we're gonna, you know, change the change the the history books or or bring people to justice all of a sudden. But there's always an opportunity to educate more people, even if it's on a grassroots level. I uh, was at a friend's house and her roommate um, was there. She's 35. She's a doctor. And I was talking to her and we just got on the subject of like conspiracy. Just just that. I don't know how it came up. It just happened. And uh, I was like, yeah, well, I'm interested in like the JFK stuff. I don't really consider it a conspiracy. I just think it's a complete injustice. And she goes, you know, I did a paper of that in college. And you know what? Everyone's paper, their little dissertation thing that they had, everyone's had an ending, but mine did not. And my immediate first question was, did you think Lee Harvey Oswald did it? And she goes, to be honest, no. Looking through everything, it's been a while, but I just, there was no ending to it. There was so much going on back then that I had to understand more about it. And I was like, okay. And we got into a conversation about it. But I think everyone has that initial, like the JFK conspiracy is kind of the, their first initial conspiracy. It's one that's kind of been talked about. It's joked about in movies. It's something of that sort. But it's about diving deeper into the subject matter. And I'm sure you know from educating people and talking to them about it or teaching political assassinations in general, you can make things line up and make sense. But it's about just you need the time to be able to do so. So I would ask you if you were going to, I don't know, give your best point Obviously, you mentioned Paul Landis, um, the story the media has just hooked onto. But if I gave you two minutes or three minutes to be able to give me your best point on JFK, do you feel comfortable being able to do something like that to get people just to look into it or be like, wait, what is that true? Is that accurate? Well, I mean, there's I, I think there's two elements to what to answering questions at the most basic level one is the 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 evidence that uh eliminates the possibility that lee harvey oswald did it and it, it doesn't you know when you start when you drill down to those things when you you look at the impossibility of a single bullet theory which as i said is the linchpin of any lone nut scenario there there are so many things not, you know, even, you know, if Landis found a bolt in the back seat, well, that's a four shot. Uh, uh, I talked to a guy who was at the autopsy, Dennis David, who many people know who died years ago, a great guy. He was a Navy corpsman who said a, a, a FBI agent poured out a, with asking to sign a security clearance receipt on, on the bullet fragments that he found that he thought were at least more than one bullet that he found that was were recovered from Kennedy's body that he that would be evidence of yet another shot uh the Audrey Bell I believe is her name the, the nurse who was there with when Conley was taken there so they took more fragments out of out of Conley's wrist than was missing from CE399 I you, you know the multiple witnesses on Dealey Plaza who saw something else I mean I always look at the there are a multitude of witnesses, but S.M. Holland was on the triple overpass. Uh, that you know, it, it, you can go back and look at his his. Uh, there's a video that Mark Lane made where he went and interviewed just a few months after the assassination all these important witnesses, and Holland sitting right there on this uh, the the triple overpass was certain 
no doubt in my mind, he said, there were shots from the front. I mean, you, you could go on and there are people who give a hundred other things, just what I did, you know, that, that simply disqualify the idea that Oswald acted alone or, and I think at all. So, but we can get lost in all those details. It's hard to condense that down into a, a you know, just a, a soundbite. And it, like you said, it requires deeper thought and it gets you into a labyrinth of, of, of details and directions and, the harder part, of course, is to, okay, well, if Oswald didn't do it, who did? And that's the other question people want to know. And and that's where you have a more of a variance of opinions. I've come to believe, and I and I just feel like I cannot pin this thing on a single entity like the CIA. I certainly believe the CIA was, there were elements of the CIA certainly involved in what happened in Dallas, but it just doesn't cover the whole story. There are too many people that had, took too many suspicious actions that required too many things. You know, the CIA could not have manipulated the, the Secret Service and their lack of protection in Dallas. The CIA could not have manipulated the autopsy in Bethesda, Maryland. I mean, so, and I don't believe the CIA had had the type of control of the scene in Dallas like powerful anti-communist Kennedy haters did in Texas. So I, I don't I, I think you have to take a broader approach about what happened in Dallas Dallas. And if that's dangerous, if that's what Gerald Poser once said, everybody everything but the kitchen sink theory, well, so be it. I think you're talking about people of level of power that that certain people had to make this thing happen, people who had either extreme radical anti-communist views or folks that were by necessity of survival, that, that, that Kennedy was going to go after or Kennedy was going to eliminate in terms of powers, the Kennedy brothers, you know, whether it be Hoover, Johnson, these folks all stood to lose everything until JFK died. Can you ignore that? I think if you balance the morality and people's general tendency to want to do something selfish for themselves in their life and in their career stage, you can kind of get to the understanding of the Dallas police involvement in a lot of this as well, too. Not, I, I think you can step away from the discussion of who fired the shot, like not even name Oswald, not even name any names, but look at all the evidence that was allegedly found, that, which none of it was really matched to Oswald. The brown paper sack, the whatever the gun bag, whatever you want to say, there's a bunch of things of evidence that were not really evidence against Oswald. He didn't make it to a trial, which all of it probably would have been exposed and shown that none of this links to Oswald. But there was some severe Dallas police corruption that's been known to the connections with the Jack Ruby knowing a lot of the people there when he would serve him drinks and things of that sort. So I think this is a multifactorial. It's not just the CIA was behind the master plot. This is a bunch of events going on that everyone's trying to cover their own ass, but at the same time, not get exposed to maybe some of their side activities as well, too. In my belief, it's what I've been starting to notice a lot more. And I think I said that a year and a half ago as well, too. But I think that's what makes it difficult and why everyone, if you say it's just this one entity, people go, oh, yeah, so they manipulated that. They went over there and did that. They went over there. I'm like, 
FBI moved, Gerald Ford moved the back wound up six inches and then was feeding information to J. Edgar Hoover on there. And they, CIA and FBI withheld information from the Warren Commission's investigation. So that's corruption. That's injustice. But that's not some grandmaster, you know, CIA did it aspect. That's a intelligence agency cover up and probably the mindset of how these agencies have been running for a long time. Well, you mentioned who. That's just one example of how this makes it doesn't make it so difficult. No one was more engaged in the cover up than J. Edgar Hoover. Which, I mean, that's that's almost historical fact. They made the evidence disappear. They intimidated witnesses to tell their change their story. I mean, they they ignored the you know Hoover had evidence that Oswald was being impersonated in Mexico City. He ignored that. All these things. So. But then again, I mean, Hoover and the CIA were not on on good terms, <laughs> and that's a that's an underestimation. I mean, uh, there, there's no there's no possibility. I think that 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 uh, you know Hoover could have just been, you know, go right along with the CIA on something and, and their directive. He had his own motives, his own survival. I mean, the he was going to be, you know, retired by the by the Kennedy brothers. If if in fact, you know, they had survived beyond sixty four, Hoover would have been out. I mean, there's just one more thing about, you know, folks had motives. Now, uh, well, the intelligence uh, committee went through and looked at that and said Hoover considered himself an adversary of the Warren Commission which is a problem alone, but they investigated that as well too. FBI withholding things and Hoover making statements about the Warren commission and their ability to dig into crucial information. The FBI might be protecting. Well, yeah, Hoover had it almost had it both ways because he not only controlled the evidence that, you know, the, the Warren commission put the FBI in charge of gathering evidence in the first place. So he had total control of that. And then, like you mentioned, he had his man, Gerald Ford, leaking back information about what was going on. So, so he had it covered on both ends. He he could control what was going into the Warren Commission, and then he could also, in some respects, have an, have an idea about what's being spoken within that commission discussions, you know. But then, of course, we got to – you can't ignore when we talk about the Warren Commission, the guy who was really – controlling the direction he put the most time into the total you know control more than anyone else of what where that direct that commission went and that was alan dulles you uh, know and, lauren what are you talking about no, i'm kidding <laughs> yeah i mean dulles is the guy who's who's seemingly you know in, in control of everything that goes on in terms of the interpretations within the commission, although there were certainly dissenting people like Russell and Hale Boggs that that didn't want to play ball, but they were kind of forced to anyway. I mean, Earl Warren was a figurehead. I mean, I, I think I, I think the real players were obviously Dulles and then Hoover's manipulation of evidence uh, that made it come to pass. I think it's interesting, a document that I've, been, that I've talked about before uh, because of the timing of it, it was, you know, the, you know, the assassination, November 63, and this, you know, 
there was that circulation of a lone nut. Uh, the the any conspiracy suge suggestions of conspiracy were were still what's the word nascent, I think, in terms of their position at that time. But even with the beginning of you know folks questioning the the Oswald alone thing, the, the CIA was obviously. Not just the FBI, but the CIA was obviously really trying to close down any dissent to the idea of a lone nut. There. And they were looking at folks that, that presented. There was a uh, author, I think his name was Buchanan, who wrote one of the first books about possibility of conspiracy. I believe he was from England. And uh, I saw a document coming right from Richard Helms, who's, I think, directly, director of plans at that time. Or uh, a deputy director, and it was sent to Dulles. Look, there's this guy named Buchanan's writing a book about the conspiracy that you need to be aware of, and it was classified. Why is a classified document being sent to then private citizen Alan Dulles by Richard Helms to a guy who has is not even yet on the Warren Commission that hasn't started yet? It's close. But it's clear that they're, you know, that Helms understands who's the who's the guy control the, the information should be directed to about a cover-up. There's people over here talking about conspiracy. The CIA really wanted to clamp down on that after the assassination. If they'd had their way, you know, none of us would be talking about this today. The whole thing would have been a closed book. But it wasn't. But they surely tried to do that. So, and, and again, that, that kind of no, leads us in different directions. We're, one minute we're talking about Hoover, next minute we're talking about the CIA. I get that. But it just shows that you have to take a broader perspective about what happened in Dallas and look at motives and look at what people did, their actions, and whether they are seen as suspicious or conspiratorial or not. Well, how much did you have to know about the context of the Cold War? to be able to understand the assassination better. I mean, you need to educate. People need to be aware that the mob and the CIA, the government, anything you want to say in that aspect of things had a relationship. Whether you want to talk about the assassination plots on Castro or just talk about the influence into movie scripts that the DOD has been doing and is still doing today, the massive amount of government infiltration propaganda-wise into the movie industry and also the mob's influence into the movie industry. I mean, they're practically doing the same tactics, but a lot of people would think of the mob as the bad guys. And the government as the good guys, the heroes that come in and sweep in there. And that alone is propaganda done by J. Edgar Hoover and his G-Men. They had a rule for Hollywood. The bad guys can shoot as much as they want, but they have to miss. Because when his FBI comes on screen, they have to look good. And to me, I'm like, you have to kind of challenge all your notions that you've believed for the longest time as an American citizen. A lot of people don't know about all the stuff that they would consider conspiracy and roll their eyes out. Even the academic community is completely disconnected from some of these things as well, too. Some historians and other things might know a little bit about it. But as soon as you get into teaching about the JFK assassination, I think everyone's a little bit afraid of where it's going to go when it comes into the conspiracy side of things, which is probably why we don't get a good teach of it in the education system. Maybe not that's, to you, but yeah, I mean that's you, you hit it exactly on the head. That fear of you know being alienated or stigmatized as a conspiracy theorist. If you're 
it's not only it's not only relevant to politicians, to the media, but usually the academic world as well. That you know, if you if you go there, you risk being labeled, stigmatized, whatever, as a conspiracy buff, which is, of course, a CIA term originated from, as I always tell my classes, the, the term conspiracy buff was actually one of those things the CIA came up with and circulated to their hundreds of media assets through Operation Mockingbird back in the, the 1960s. But but you, you mentioned the Cold War. Well, I think the Cold War is is part of the equation of Dallas, not the whole, whole one, but like maybe some folks would again, I, I, I look at this in, in pieces, but it, you know, and, and this extreme anti-communist viewpoint that was prevalent throughout our institutions and in some cases the public. I mean, J. Edgar Hoover. I mean, I've read reading more about the 1930s lately, and, and about how you know the the Jagger Hoover, you know, missed the boat so badly on a a ex exploding Nazi movement in America across the country in the 1930s, while he was tr busy trying to hunt communists under everybody's you know pillow, so to speak, that weren't a fraction of the danger of the Nazi movement in America uh, through the 1940s. And this, this portrayal of the, this anti-communist, you know, this, uh, this communist threat, what, again, there was, there's no doubt that we, there, the, there, it's not like the Cold War was fake. It happened. I mean, the Russians, the Soviet empire were a threat to the world. Some might say that you know, um, you know, America and the CIA were certainly out there manipulating the large parts of the world, too. It became a kind of a game between, uh, you know, in, in a bipolar world of, of, of gamesmanship. And how far do we, I think, it, you know, the, I think it, in some cases, the, the threat of communism really kind of made Americans especially institutionally speaking, sometimes forget what our values were. That we, we have, you know, the CIA was in the 1950s was a completely autonomous operation with an unlimited budget that ultimately evolved into a willingness to do anything to achieve their ends in terms of uh, fighting communism or winning this, this Cold War, as you speak. That included anything from mind control to assassination to to you know delving far into the uh, I mean by charter the CIA should have had nothing to do with what happened in the United States they were supposed to be simply a foreign intelligence gathering office but they had huge operations domestically in the United States and, and some of the things they did it's just the the willingness to set aside anything. From a, from a moral standpoint, and we have to win this battle at all costs. And in the way of that, and some of the, you know, the, we're the Kennedy brothers at every step of the way. I mean, the CIA and the military wanted Castro. They wanted an invasion of Cuba. They wanted Vietnam. And under Kennedy, they got none of those things. They got blunted at every step. 
and and then the, the I think one of the ultimately extremely important things was in 1962, I believe, when the when a, a, a very radicalized Joint Chiefs of Staff brings Operation Northwoods to the to McNamara and the Kennedy brothers about this false terror campaign to with all kinds of potential you know uh, atrocities or, or or false flag operations to commit to, to start a war with Cuba and the Kennedy brothers rejected that. I think that, that just shows you that these coal warriors were blunted at every step of the way by the Kennedy brothers. Now how are they going to react? How did they react? That's the question. I mean, I think that's the Cold War context into what happened in Dallas. Do you think that if Kennedy would have probably not been elected, if he would have lost the first time and then he would have reran, do you think that he would have still had the same impact? Like if he would have not beat Richard Nixon, Richard Nixon would have won and then ran at a later time, do you think the impact would still be the same? I mean, obviously, it was kind of, it was it was at this weird time in the Cold yeah, War. You know, it's always what ifs, but, I, you know, that's a, that's a very intriguing question. I really never, we always dwell on the question of what would have happened if JFK had not been shot, what, what, how much of a better world would we be in? I don't think, I don't know if anybody's asked the question about well, what if JFK had been not, one thing I can say for certain, though, is that, and I do speak about this in my class, that when you look at what happened with the with the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962, where the Kennedy brothers were the only people inside the administration, their own administration, Joint Chiefs of Staff, own advisors, that were rejecting the notion of an all-out invasion of Cuba. I just can't see there's any way that Nixon would have stood in the way of of, of what happened, you know, of a, a, an invasion of Cuba like like Kennedy did. And we know now that the Russians had tactical nuclear weapons and probably would have used them, which would have no doubt what brought us into a, a World War III scenario. So my answer was would be if Nixon had been elected in 1960. I don't know if there been we've been around to have an election in '64, man. I'm just serious about that. But uh, you know, who's to say? If Kennedy was young. He was uh, he he was charismatic. Yeah, I don't think he I certainly don't think it would have been the end of his political career if he had lost in 1960. He may well have ran again in '64 and or even '68. Who's to say about how history would have turned out differently? Uh, we can get obsessed with his death, and I think you can forget the amazing things he did when he was alive. That's why I asked that question because he did he ushered in a new way of thinking for Americans. I think went with his speeches right. that he did of idealism of of you know he came in as a cold warrior in, in 1960, but I but a but also an irrational actor, and I think as time wore on and he saw the activity, saw how the CIA had duped him into the Bay of Pigs operation. Uh, he, 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 I think by 1963, he, he saw the, how the, once again, he was trying, the military was trying to project false optimism in Vietnam and drag him into that affair. And he, he wanted no part of that. I think he ultimately by 63, a seminal moment in JFK's 
uh, administration, and, and most people would agree with this, is the is the the, the American University speech in June of '63, where he said, "We are all mortal. We all breathe the same air. We all cherish our children's future." That you know, and he's talking about the Soviets. The Soviets heard that. I mean, I, I've seen a document uh, years after that by where we had a, a, a an intelligence source inside the Kremlin that said. The Russians absolutely mourned the death of Kennedy because they understood that he was a rational actor, that they they could deal with him, that, that maybe there was some path to peace uh, as long as Kennedy was there. And that all went away in, in, in Dallas. And so uh, the, the fact that Kennedy's number one accomplishment in his short three years of president was making sure that we never got into a nuclear war. Nothing else compares to that. I mean, you can talk about his other accomplishments, but the fact that he averted nuclear war in in October of 1962, we're still here to talk about it. To me, that that is the paramount accomplishment of JFK. And of course, he he tried to move the country in other directions. I think the Peace Corps was very important. Uh, you know, trying to uh, trying to avoid trying to do something to help folks in 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 third world countries in terms of poverty instead of just economic exploitation of American corporations by American corporations. Uh, he, he he began to see the importance of moving the country in a different directions in terms of civil rights, even though it was it threatening politically. I mean, those those are things that can't be ignored as well. Uh, Kennedy accomplished an awful lot in three years, but our survival is the highest accomplishment I believe he achieved. How long has the debate happened with the Vietnam War? There's two sides of that, people that believe Kennedy was pulling out and people that believe he wasn't. I like to think he was going to pull out of Vietnam because based on his character at the time, I think you can see that there's a lot of evidence to support he experienced change. He's probably going to be pulling troops out of Vietnam, but there's a lot of people like I see that get brought up in some of the forums now. People are debating that. And I'm like, is this like Northwoods where they started debating Northwoods again? Like they all started when Northwoods was uh, trending at the I think it was after the document release uh, in December after Tucker Carlson went on air. Uh, Northwoods was trending again, getting called a conspiracy. And I was like, well, that's real. And that was an actual thing that they was passed on at Kennedy's desk. Well, I think that's, I've always said that, and I've been saying this for quite some time, that maybe the greatest accomplishment of, you know, in terms of exposing things and getting some movement uh, in terms of the historical repositioning of things, I think, has been the fact that researchers, good researchers, Dr. John Newman has done a lot of, looked at a lot of documents associated with Vietnam. I think it's. I think the the needle has been moved. That I think the 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 consensus. You know, you never get a one hundred percent by historians on anything. But I think the consensus is more than not now that GS JFK had every intention of of not avoiding any massive combat operation in Vietnam. And I think the documents clearly not only prove it, 
They also suggest deception on the part of military people in terms of, of, of their attempt to try to project false optimism on the course of the war. Kennedy's deft response to it by saying, well, you know what? And these, this is all documented that, that uh, if things are going so good in Vietnam by in 1963, by the end of this year, let's talk about pulling people out. There's no denying that. There's documentary proof of that. And, and then the reversal of policy almost immediately after JFK's death under Johnson, where they introduce a NSAM 273, which opens the door for uh, covert action, including the old plan 34A, which included, uh, you know, South Vietnamese covert operations against North Vietnamese radar operations sponsored by the CIA. And then all of a sudden we've got the Tonkin Gulf incident. We've got... We've got massive escalation. I don't know, you know, Kennedy's reticence about getting into Vietnam, his suggestions. JFK spent time in Southeast Asia as a young senator. He saw he he saw the landscape. He understood. And, you know, unlike Lyndon Johnson, he had an understanding about what Vietnam was all about. Unlike a lot or others who just saw it as another, you know, another, another piece of the chessboard in the Cold War game. Kennedy understood that there was more to Vietnam. It was more complicated. And the worst thing we could do would be some sort of massive intervention on the ground. No, historians, I think if they they can't see the light on that one, the light is so clear that, that there never would have been a massive combat operation in Vietnam under JFK, we would have avoided that disaster. That's clear as day to me. And I, and I think there's at least a consensus of that in historians based upon documents that have been released in the last 30 years. What would you really want to hammer home with the people when you speak at the 60th anniversary? Well, that, that, you know, that's a pretty broad question. <laughs> it's probably a lot of things that I liked it. I think a lot of a lot of the things that we've just spoken of in our last few minutes about, you know, the the, the importance of 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 you know in in, a, in an overarching look at America, you know, that a, a democracy, if we call ourselves that, requires openness and justice. It's harder than than uh, you know. If you want to be in an authoritarian state, you know, there are so many. You, with strong arm rulers, you can look at, you know, they're they're all over Putin and, and some of the other characters in Europe. Uh, you know, where where truth isn't important anymore. It's, the truth is what what we tell you. If you really want a open society, you have to you have to you know get to the bottom of things. You have to have justice, and you and you have to have some corrections in terms of history and that in our job you know is to continue that drumbeat of whatever that is to keep this story alive until the needle is moved uh, i guess i'm not i just those are things that just come to mind right now that that no there's not an end date on justice there's not a say you know like people well what do you think will happen well you know i, I can recall people were saying well, well after the 50th you know this will be it and maybe they're saying after the 60s, this will be it. It's not that we're 
it's not that we're, you know, because some, you know, some people have accused JFK assassin researchers of creating a cottage industry of, you know, books and, uh, you know, literally thousands of books have been written about this story. I don't think, you know, they're as profitable as they once were. I don't think the public read, you know, reads as much as they used to, or there was a time 30, 40 years ago, any book on the JFK assassination would be ultimately be a bestseller. Now that's not the case, but yeah, it might, you might feel like some people are just trying to perpetuate this thing, but, you know, to, but at the same time, there needs to be a continuing, uh, you know, exercise of looking into this thing until we get a more of a, a a validation of what happened in Dallas. And I don't know there's an end date or a time on that, but we that has to continue until we get to some greater truth about what happened in Dallas. I think you can get a better historical picture if you really just, instead of focusing so much on the assassination, you just talk about that someone died that day. And then technically in that weekend, two people. Uh, if you count Oswald in there as well, too. Whether you think he was a shooter or not, he's 24 years old and had two kids. So, I mean, at least you can look at it with an open mind and try and look at the evidence. I'm not saying you. I just meant people out there that would roll their eyes and think it's not a subject that you should dive into. I mean, for not only historical rectification, but also the fact of understanding that some a life was lost. You know, that's yeah, I think- very important. In some respects, I think some of researchers make a very valid comment. This is a this is a murder case above more, above and beyond anything else. I mean, uh, you know, as you said, two murders were committed. You know, uh, you know, JFK and then then Jack Ruby shot Oswald. So, what is the meaning of it? But it's these are still murder cases. They're not just some grandiose giant conspiracy game to play that that you know about who did it and how it was done and and it's still bottom line where's the evidence lead what does it suggest what what happened in dallas and and then you know the the greater obviously the greater thing beyond that is to ask the why you know but the the evidence points towards you know someone besides oswald and that that's why it needs to be looked into, regardless whether it was a president of the United States or just an average American citizen, right? So, what about clearing up the little myths that keep popping up? It seems like there's it's a constant if you ever go on the forums, it's a rehash of old stuff over and over again, stuff from like five years ago, six years ago, topics of that discussion. But also whenever something like the Paul Landis story comes up, you have other stories that start popping up. Um like the secret Kennedy never wanted secret service protection. Um, that's why there was no secret service on there. I mean, those can all be easily debunked, but it seems like it's just an inevitable washing machine that keeps spinning and turning yeah, and spinning people, and turning. Some people that haven't done their, you know, some people might have not have done their homework. They don't, you know, they, you know, that, you know, JFK told the agents to get off the car. That's just false. I know. And I know uh, William Manchester, death of the president, given access by the Kennedy family to write a detailed account of what happened before and after the assassination. Uh, that story almost became a a uh, circulated narrative that 
Kennedy ordered agents off the car. Well, when Vince Palomero interviewed many of those agents, they said the exact opposite thing. That, that uh, I think it was Arthur Godfrey, one agent, who said Kennedy was a nice man. He never told us anything. He never told us what to do. He never. And, and if that's the case, well, it's the Ivy League charlatans thing that was never said. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if that was the case, if if uh, if Kennedy did not order those agents off the car because there's clear video evidence that they're being ordered off the car, then you then your answer to what happened in Dallas is is right there looking at you in the face. Who who motivated, who orchestrated the events to get those agents off that car? That's a power at a high level that clearly manipulated a crucial aspect of Kennedy's death. Because, you know, all you got to do is look at the pictures of of motorcades prior to that where where Secret Service agents were bracketing on the on the side rails and bracketing the car. Uh, motorcycle riders were not, you know, back and behind, but bracketing the car. If if the police and Secret Service had been positioned properly, JFK never would have died. I mean, he might have been potential wounds, but if they'd been doing their job that day, you know, he would have been exposed to no more than one shot and then or initial shots, and they would have been all over the president and that and they would have escaped his death. So who did that? Because because I, you know, I think there's strong evidence to suggest, hey, JFK didn't tell those agents to get off the car. Who did? You know, there, there's a big part of the, the question about the level of conspiracy right there. The president doesn't have the power to uh, tell their Secret Service agents what to do. That's on their website as well, too. It's listed right, right there. Right. I mean, that, that's a good, great point. I mean, you look back to the, you know, if you follow what happened on the January 6th a couple of years ago, there are accounts where um, where President Trump, after he gave his rally speech, wanted to go down to wanted to go down to where the you know the protesters were going and to the to the Capitol and the Secret Service agents absolutely overruled him and even almost got into a fight and said, "No, you're not going." And that 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 shows you there that yeah, that the Secret Service has power. You know, I, I'm not sure even the President of the United States can tell them to get off the car anyway, right? I mean, that's a good good point on yours part. The you only know? time they have control over the president is when they're no longer in office and they refuse security protection. Um, that is the only time that the president's able to order Secret Service what to do. And also with the trademark incident, that was November 19th. Final discussions were made that the motorcycle cops would ride at the rear wheels of the president's motorcade. And the excuse that they gave was that Kennedy did not like motorcycle noises and he thought it'd be too loud. So he wanted him back. That's in the official documentation. I swear to you, that's what it says. That's, that is, and I would say that is extremely disturbing and probably bogus <laughs> you know, to suggest that Kennedy didn't want the motorcycle sounds of a motorcycle makes it. I just like, wow. I mean, because Dallas police were there to protect the crowd from obviously. My, my going. Answer for that would be dead men don't get to defend themselves now, do they? It's easy to, 
it's easy to blame Kennedy for this lack of protection. It was so convenient to say, well, that's what JFK wanted. And it covered up, I think, a myriad of actions taken that put him into the kill zone. There's no question in my mind. In fact, this is important, too. I think people, maybe people don't want to hear this, but it's a real, also, you know, Robbie asked who lured Kennedy to Dallas? Who got him there in the first place? Boy, Connolly and all the other ones. Yeah, John Connolly is the guy who, who not only took the steps, and Lyndon Johnson announced in April of 1963, uh, went on public radio stations and announced the Texas trip before JFK even agreed to it. Did you see the picture of uh, JFK waving to people? I don't remember if it's Florida or Dallas, but he's waving to people and and he's holding the white hat and the white hat is getting held to Johnson. Johnson's holding the hat like it's not his. Johnson is wearing his. So he's holding a hat. It happened to be whether it's one that was given to Kennedy or not. He's holding two hats. He's got one in his hand. He's got one on his head. And you just see Johnson's face. I'm like, that tells you everything right there. That guy's like this son of a bitch is going to get shot in the head. I'm telling you. Well, I think there's some things that Johnson did. I mean, there's Yard. I mean, Yarborough, Senator Yarborough, suggested at the time of the shots was in the car with Johnson. He was in the floorboard on a microphone. I mean, those are things that are they're hard uh, hard to ignore. Who's the agent who ordered agents off the car at the beginning of the parade? Emory Roberts. Who was Emory Roberts close to? Lyndon Johnson. I mean, these things are hard hard to ignore. His, you know, Conley was his lieutenant. He's the guy that had more to do. With, J- with JFK being convinced to come to Dallas than anyone else. There were also Johnson uh, uh, underlings that were involved in that too, without getting into too much detail. But And here's another important thing that I'm sure you're aware of when we talk about Conley. Uh, Conley got into a huge argument with Jerry, JFK's advance man, Jerry Bruno. Bruno absolutely did not want to go to the trademark. And, and Conley apparently told Bruno, if you guys aren't going to go to the trademark, don't even come. So he actually bullied Bruno to making sure the event that morning, which JFK never arrived, or that day, which never arrived to the Dallas trademark, is the, was going to be the destination. And, of course, what where does that lead? Where that lead us to, that simply means that the motorcade would be passing Dealey Plaza. Now, of course, they had to take a little detour off onto Houston and Elm, but the fact was, because that that event that was going to happen in the trademark, it guaranteed that that the motorcade would be going in that direction. Can we ignore those things? Can we just say, well, that's all a coincidence? Maybe you can, or maybe you don't. Or at least maybe someone probably should have lost their job. I mean, obviously, Secret Service wasn't up to standards for that trip at all even though they had been up to trips that they've done differently they've had bubble tops on past trips they've had rooftops checked on past trips and this was was a shorter trip and they didn't bother to do any of that there is evidence that uh that uh johnson's aide who's still alive a young bill moyers is the guy who quote unquote ordered that get that damn bubble top off the car they made so somebody's making sure that bubble top wasn't there in dallas as well uh you, you, and you talk about Secret Service protection. Let, let's go back to, I mean, I'm just, you know, stream of consciousness here. But, uh, you know, what I, from what I've been told is uh, 
Landis, the Secret Service agent, who's come forward with these accusations, this uh, admission that he found a bullet in the back seat, uh, has not, not has denied changed his story or denied the fact that he was one of the agents, which he probably was, out partying to 5 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> so you talk about, you know, uh, you know whether that was conspiratorial or they were lured into it. But certainly the Secret Service was, you could say, a very minimum, was not at the top of their game in Dallas and maybe a lot worse, you know. Goes back to the original point of there's a lot of people you can start pointing fingers at because everyone's got a little bit of dirt on their hands on this one. Oh yeah, yeah, and I know that complicates things. I know it makes it 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 frustrates people and also maybe has makes you know situation where people shy away from this story. But just because it's complicated, just because uh, evidence leads in many directions, you don't you know, throw your hands up and walk away with, with what is obviously one of the most seminal turning points in American history, what happened in Dallas. You know, just because the subject's hard, complicated, or a hall of mirrors and deceptions, we still have to look, and we're still looking, right, 60 years down the road. We don't choose to do things because they're easy. We choose to do them because they're hard. Oh, I love that one. You I'm pretty sure I misquoted the shit out of it, but <laughs> yeah. that was Kennedy. I was. It was about I, the moon. We don't choose to go to the moon because it's easy. We choose to go because it's hard. Because right? it's hard, yeah. But mm. I mean, I butchered it. It's fine. From the quote from the movie Major League, Tom Hanks was saying something about you know. You being being good is the, the is the hard part. Some of that effect. I don't know. I'm off the track. But you can say any movie quote you want. Jack Nicholson saying you can't handle the truth on this one. Yep, that's a great movie. Great, great point. Now, um, Mr. Denton, I appreciate the time you gave me to talk on my show again. I know you got it prep work for the 60th, the conference, and everything like that. And I appreciate you doing those, um, and also giving me the time. I enjoyed it. We we brought brought out a lot of enlightening comments and. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, I, uh, we'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks and see how much we do move the needle, Robbie. We'll see. And for my generation, I'd like to thank you for giving me the time in the very beginning when I didn't know much about the assassination to be able to understand it and get your take on some things as well, too, to better spark my interest in the assassination because it's absorbed me, I think, at this point. I'm like, I can't get off of it. It does everyone. It's just like the, I always call it the black hole that you fall in. It's hard to get out, but it's obvious that over the last few years you have you really accumulated a lot of knowledge on the subject, and I and I applaud you for that. Thank you. Well, Mr. Denton, is there a place where people can find your links? Uh, again, the, the JFKhistorical.com uh, will take you to our website, or if you just punch in and Google JFK Historical Group. Uh, uh, our discussions and, and primarily information upcoming about our conference next week. Folks can't make it in person. There is a Zoom option. Uh, it's going to be a, a great conference, uh, a two-day force of speakers that uh, on the topic. I invite anyone here that is interested to, to 
to uh, hop on that and check that check that out. We we look forward to the folks that are going to be there in Dallas, and hopefully some some good things will happen. I'm gonna link all your links in the description. It's been a pleasure chatting. Thanks everybody for listening to this episode. Have a blank podcast.